0: Today's episode is sponsored by Green Chef. I know you may have heard it before, but I've got to tell you about my favorite way to make dinner, and it's all with the help of the company, Green Chef. Green Chef lets you choose from a wide variety of easy-to-follow recipes that you can cook in your own house. There is something for everyone with keto, paleo, plant-powered, and balanced living plans. All of which have quick and easy step-by-step instructions, chef tips, and photos to help guide even the most novice of chefs, like myself. I cannot wait to cook the chicken with creamy chimichurri this week. My mouth is literally watering just thinking about it. I am definitely not the chef in my family by any means, so normally a recipe like this would intimidate me into scrapping it from my menu. But I know from experience that Green Chef recipes are so easy to follow, and with everything pre-measured and prepared for me, it's pretty foolproof even for me. One of my favorite things about Green Chef is the recipes are filled with hand-picked organic vegetables and high-quality proteins that are delivered straight to your door. Once you choose what meals you want, Green Chef does the meal planning, grocery shopping, and most of the prep for you week after week, meaning that this can work with even the busiest of schedules and you can be confident that everything in the box is working together to make amazing meals that you and your family are going to love. Not only that, but Green Chef is the most sustainable meal kit out there, offsetting 100% of its direct carbon emissions and plastic packaging in every box. So not only are you putting good stuff in your body, but you can feel good about how it got to your table. Green Chef is owned by HelloFresh, a company that so many of you know and love. With a wider array of meal plans, you can try out both boxes and see what suits your family best. Or, if you're like me, you can switch back and forth depending on what looks the most delicious. Which is always a hard decision. So, if you're ready to try it for yourself, go to greenchef.com slash morningcup100 and use the code MORNINGCUP100 to get $100 off including free shipping. That's greenchef.com slash morningcup100 and use the code MORNINGCUP100 to get $100 off including free shipping. Green Chef the number one meal kit for eating well. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When at least police arrived, the they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Breve- <squeaky> of <coughs> <cough> 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 murder. Religious leaders are held to the highest form of trust. At least, most of them. On August 14th, 1941, a man was born who would become a beloved rabbi and founder of a temple in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. A man who was struck with tragedy when his wife of more than 28 years was brutally murdered in a robbery gone wrong. At least, that was the working theory. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Fred Newlander, born August 14, 1941, founded the Congregation Mkor Shalom Reform Temple in Cherry Hill in the summer of 1974, after being an assistant rabbi at a nearby temple for quite some time. He was a well-liked man, one who many enjoyed hearing speak at their services, and with a wife, Carol Newlander, by his side for the last 28 years, he seemed to have everything going for him, when in 1994 things came crashing to a sudden halt. On the evening of Tuesday, November 1st, 1994, 52-year-old Carol Newlander opened the door to her home to let two men come inside who claimed to know her husband Fred. Not a big stretch, he was a well-known man and she likely figured that they were new members of the synagogue, so she led them into the home with her guard totally down. That's when one of the men hit her from behind with a pipe, "'smashing her skull as she fell to her knees, "'crying out, why, to her unknown attackers. "'The men then continued bashing her head in "'until they were certain she was dead. "'Rabbi Fred came home from the synagogue "'at around 9.20 p.m. "'to find his wife lying in a pool of her own blood. "'He frantically called 911 "'and through his tears, "'continually asked the dispatcher "'what he should do and if he should touch her body.' Police and EMTs arrived two minutes later as the Newlander's son, Matthew, who was an EMT on duty when the call came in that they needed to dispatch to his family home, stood outside with his father while they watched everyone descend upon their home and upon Carol. But pretty early on, Fred's actions started to spark some concern. Despite being married to this woman for almost 30 years, Fred didn't try to help his wife as she lay on the floor of their home. He had not a speck of blood on him or his clothing, despite blood covering most of the living room where she was attacked. Nor did he say the vidui prayer, her last rites, over her body. In fact, despite his initial frantic phone call to police, Fred seemed relatively calm and collected, considering what he had just witnessed. For many, his lack of emotion was the first major clue that something was amiss. The attack, though brutal, seemed to have no clear motive. The obvious assumption of robbery was made upon first glance, especially since Carol had been taking home the day's receipts from the classic Cake Co., the bakery she founded and sold several years before her death, but was still working as a wholesale manager for. The outlet had been robbed about a month before her attack, leading many to wonder if the bakery was somehow tied to her murder. But when police noticed that there was no sign of forced entry, It seemed likely that either Carol knew her attackers or they talked their way inside of the house somehow. These small inconsistencies set off what would become an eight year investigation into not just Carol and her murderers, but into the rabbi himself. At first, things started out slow. With very little to go on and only a flimsy connection to the bakery, everyone was having a hard time finding a motive for killing the mother of three. But then police got a major lead when they found out that Fred, who insisted Carol was the love of his life, had been carrying on a two year affair with a woman named Elaine Soncini, a radio personality in Philadelphia. The pair met when Elaine's Jewish husband, Ken Garland, lay dying in the hospital, and the good rabbi came to visit and later officiate his funeral. Compelled by his service for Ken, Elaine converted from Catholicism under his tutelage. This little lie unraveled any sort of positive opinion investigators may have had about the rabbi, and the long-held suspicion that he may have arranged his wife's murder seemed to become a much more viable option. They surmised that, fearing Elaine was losing patience with him and fearful of what a public divorce may destroy his reputation and his life's work, Fred hired someone, or someones, to come take care of Carol for him. Elaine herself, who initially lied about the affair until she was told that Fred had other mistresses, would later testify that, when she insisted he leave his wife for her, he would complain that a divorce from his popular and beloved wife would compromise his credibility within the temple. He was arrested in 1998 and indicted for Carol's murder, based almost entirely on circumstantial evidence. To say the public was shocked to find out that one of New Jersey's noted religious leaders was not only a philanderer, but possibly a cold-hearted killer, would be a major understatement. But two years later, any doubt the police may have arrested the wrong man was dashed at the hands of a man named Len Genoff and the Philadelphia Inquirer. According to the stories, in April of 2000, a man named Len Genoff met with a reporter to talk about Fred Newlander's case. He and Fred were friends. In fact, when Len's life seemed to go off the rails a bit, it was his friendship with the rabbi that seemed to put him back on track, even officiating Len's wedding in the very room where Carol would eventually lose her life. But something was divulged during their interview that the reporter knew needed to be told, not just to the public, but to the police, and Len was persuaded by the inquirer to tell officials what he knew about the crime. He agreed and told investigators that he and a roommate turned accomplice, Paul Daniels, both congregates of Fred's synagogue, were paid $18,000 by Fred Newlander to kill Carol and make it look like a botched robbery. Unfortunately, while this seemed like the home run that prosecutors needed to keep Fred behind bars, Len was widely known throughout the Cherry Hill area as a major storyteller. According to the testimony, Len claimed to be former CIA, FBI, a comrade in arms of President Reagan, a member of the Israeli intelligence service, a player in the Iran-Contra affair, a former police officer, and a three-time attempted assassin of Fidel Castro. Despite his ability to spin a tall tale, police believed his testimony about the murder of Carol Newlander and immediately amended Fred's charges to reflect his serious involvement in the case. At the trial, which was broadcast live on Court TV, not only did Elaine come forward and give her testimony, which included Fred's pillow talk in which he said he dreamed of finding Carol dead so the two of them could finally be together, but so did Len, who gave his full cooperation and details into what happened the night Carol was killed. In exchange for a plea, Len claimed that he cased the Newlander home by meeting with Carol about delivering some packages for the rabbi and then requesting to use the bathroom. This strange action earned him the moniker bathroom man. And when he and Paul Daniels returned a few weeks later, again on the promise of delivering packages, Carol, on the phone with her daughter, said that the bathroom man was back. A few moments later, she was off the phone and shortly thereafter, bludgeoned to death. All the while, Fred was at the synagogue, providing him with an ironclad alibi. The defense, of course, claimed that while Len's story was likely true, one major part was concocted to make himself and his accomplice look a little less guilty Fred Newlander's involvement. They claimed that the motive was strictly a robbery and that Fred had nothing to do with his wife's murder. Their argument hinged on Len's reputation for false representation and the fact that he was the only person who could pin this whole thing on Fred because Paul, suffering from mental disabilities, could not testify in the trial. Probably one of the most damaging moments in the trial came when the prosecution asked Matthew Newlander, the second oldest of the Newlander children and the one who was present at the scene the night of the murder, to take the stand. While in front of a jury, Matthew told of a heated exchange between his parents that took place just two days before the murder. According to the testimony, Carol asked her husband that night if he wanted to try and salvage what they had left of their marriage. To which Fred responded, no, it's over. With so much media coverage and wildly different approaches from both the prosecution and the defense, the jury found itself unable to come to an agreement. And with a vote of 9-3 to in favor of guilt, a retrial was declared and moved to Monmouth County to avoid the media tarnishing the jurors' opinions. This time, the defense presented testimony from two prison inmates who claimed to hear Len bragging about his arrest and about the robbery gone wrong, exonerating Fred from responsibility. They also took the opportunity to attack virtually every witness for the prosecution. The jury wasn't buying it. Fred Newlander was found guilty on January 15, 2003, sentenced to 30 years to life imprisonment, and his son became thoroughly convinced that his father was the monster who orchestrated his mother's murder. In the aftermath of his trial, Fred Newlander gave an interview to Barbara Walters and said, You have no idea how much rage I have, and referred to the great sadness he felt that two of his three children testified against him. He will be eligible for parole in 2030 when he is 88 years old. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on August 15th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. They both come in giftable boxes with savings up to $46 and free shipping for a limited time. Go to OSEAMalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.